Our scripture today is found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me adjust my wire here. We think that last week the, uh, the noise that was happening might have been from my, the cell phone in my pocket, so I've taken it out. Hopefully there are no extra bouncing around this week. We are uh, studying Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We're in uh, part three of our 13-part series on Philippians. And it's an interesting letter because, you know, it's one of his prison letters. And one of the things that he teaches us in his letter to the Philippian church is that Christ is our joy. And that no matter what happens, no matter what comes, whatever may come, will endure not just an endurance but enjoy because we're rooted and established in Christ. And that has a very practical outcome for the way that we live our life. And so we're going to look today at uh, Philippians 1, uh, 12 through 18. And I wanted to uh, open by talking to you about cycling. Cycling gear, to be, uh, to be specific. If you've seen cyclists along Kelly Drive, one of the things you'll notice is the colorful outfits that cyclists tend to wear. There are the padded biking shorts, and there are the shoes that clip onto the pedals. And uh, if you're like me, you have a pair of uh, specific biking glasses. Watch this. Huh? Yeah? You've got the helmet, and you've got, the, you know, you've got all of that. The thing you'll notice about these, these are Smith Pivlock V90s. I was very excited to get these. Uh, the thing that you'll notice about these is that there are no rims around the side, and so that your peripheral vision is intact. You can just glance a little bit to your side and, and you can see very clearly with your peripheral vision. One of the things I learned studying Kung Fu is that your direct focus picks up color, but it's your side focus, your peripheral vision, that picks up motion and movement. So it's very important to have that free, especially to be safe on the bike as you're riding around. And so I was happy to get this because there's just no block in my vision at all. I can just turn my head slightly and see, pick up movement of riders trying to pass me or runners trying to pass me, and it makes it a safer ride. It's also, you'll notice they've got cool purple tint, so everything has a little bit of a cool purple view as I ride along. Um, the point of that story <laughs> is that our subject this morning is that you need to keep your focus and perspective and have everything, just as, just as these glasses are built, to be able to see in a specific way uh, so that you're not hindered, so that you're safe. And uh, just as they're built so that uh, it protects your eyes from the sun, but with a particular kinds of color to it. Uh, so when we think about the gospel, when we think about what Jesus has done, 
The idea of today's passage is you keep your focus and perspective colored by Jesus and his gospel. Gospel meaning good news. And so it's the good news of Jesus that will color everything that we do as Christians. We look through it as a lens. We can try on other lenses, and we can see life through other lenses, but it's only this lens that will root us and establish us in love, like Paul is writing about. It's only this lens that will... um, protect us from the blind spots that we'd have if we had rims on our glasses blocking our view, blocking our important peripheral vision. So we're going to talk about a few things this morning. We're going to talk about uh, the idea that your, your attitudes change and your faith grows by keeping good perspective and attitude when suffering. Right? So there's something about faith growing when you keep a good perspective and attitude when suffering. Also, we're going to talk about the idea that your faith grows by seeing the effect of faith of others. Your faith and attitude grows by seeing the effect of faith of others. And lastly, we'll try to talk about the idea that your faith grows ultimately by seeing Jesus' perspective and attitude when he was suffering to serve God faithfully. Seeing his effective faith on your behalf. All right? Let's get started. The first point that we're going to talk about is the idea that your faith grows by keeping Uh, good perspective and attitude when suffering in order to serve God faithfully. Now, what that means is that you can see your suffering as worthwhile, right? One of the things Paul said in the way that he put it in verse 12 is, hey, I want you to know. He's talking about his suffering. He's talking about his being in prison. I want you to know, and he has a different perspective that he begins to unpack. One of the things that we have in Scripture that Paul would have known uh, intimately was the story of Joseph in Genesis 50 uh, and and some before that. Joseph uh, grows up as a boy in a large household, and he is given dreams by God, but he's not yet developed as a person. He's fairly arrogant. He kind of brags to his brothers about the dreams. His brothers uh, are sick of him, and so they take him out and they sell him, to some travelers passing by, and Joseph is sold into slavery, and he goes into slavery, and he, God blesses the different predicaments and circumstances that he has as he's living his life in Egypt, and as he grows up, he becomes the number two guy in all the land, and at one point, there's a famine going on in all the, the land, and his family, his brothers, come to get food because Joseph was eventually put in charge of all of that, and he recognizes them. And eventually they recognize him and they're frightened for their life because they know, oh no, he knows what we've done and you know, it's going to undo us. And he, and he addresses them. He says, look, take heart. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And Paul has that attitude here. Paul seems to have something of the same robust confidence in God's overruling power, even when everything seems to be going wrong. His focus, his attitude is directed right on God's overruling power. Uh, so you can also see your suffering and advocate, uh, advancing the gospel effectively. It's not just that your faith grows when you see your suffering as worthwhile, part of a bigger picture, but you can see it, your faith grows when you see that the gospel, uh, that your suffering advances the gospel effectively. Verse 12, one of the things that Paul writes is, that's what's happened to me. What has happened to me here has really served to advance the gospel. It's really served to advance the gospel. Now, the soldiers were used to another gospel. 
The soldiers, the imperial guard that you read about in this passage, were used to another gospel. It was the gospel of Caesar. And a gospel, the word gospel in that day meant uh, monumental news of life-changing proportion. And so the heralds would go around the city when a new Caesar was uh, reigned in and say, you know, herald the gospel of Caesar. And it was the idea that the good news that the new emperor had taken the throne, bringing, so he claimed, peace and justice to the world. So it's a very specific word from that context in that time. And now the guards, the imperial guards, are hearing something different. They're hearing a different gospel. Here was something out of the blue announcing that there was a different gospel, that Jesus of Nazareth had taken the throne of the world and was summoning every man, woman, and child to bow the knee to him. That had an impact even on hardened soldiers. Uh, Last week we talked about how there's the parallel of what's going on in the Philippian church in Acts 16 with the jailer, the Philippian jailer. He's He's also a man of the empire. He's a soldier. And the life, it changed his life. The gospel changed his life. So it's changing the imperial guard. Now, there are problems, of course, about the idea of Paul being an apostle and the gospel going forward and changing things. One writer put it like this. He said... For a traveling apostle to be put in prison must have seemed like a concert pianist having his hands tied behind his back. In other words, the question is, how can God possibly continue to work through Paul if he's bound in prison like this? He's a traveling apostle. He, apostle, messenger, sent one, right? He's the one who's supposed to be sent, and here he is in prison. The imperial guard... Uh, saw Paul's strong belief in the way that God works through unlikely circumstances, and Paul was ready with an answer for them, right? The imperial guard, which every major city of Roman influence had at the time, was on its way to becoming an important center of the actual worship of the emperor, the Roman emperor. And But they were all now aware that there was a man in their custody who was going around proclaiming a new and very subversive message, okay? And that idea, again, was that, there's, that Paul was talking about King Jesus. Paul was talking about King Jesus. Now, there are others who heard his message, you'll see in the passage, who heard that Paul was being effective, that the imperial guard were being affected, that all else involved, all others involved were being affected by the message of the gospel. But there, there are those who were going around talking about King Jesus who Paul knew really didn't mean it. In fact, they were trying to hurt him. They were trying to make him suffer in, in his imprisonment. Uh, now, some people have thought that these people were a rival Christian group, opposed to Paul's specific view of the gospel. But as I was studying for this, and I became convinced along with uh, one of the commentators on this passage, I think it's more likely that they're ordinary pagans, people who are outside, paganist countrymen, outside of the Roman uh, practice, and just engaged in any kind of worship. Uh, pagan worship principles. Ordinary pagans who have heard what all the fuss is about, and they're talking about it on the street. They're saying, have you heard? They'll be saying to each other. They've caught that strange fellow who's been going around saying there's a new king, a new emperor. And you won't believe it, this new king turns out to be a Jew whom they crucified a few years ago. And this jailbird is saying that he's alive again, and he's the real lord of the world. So Paul's in prison, And these people are going around trying to make it more difficult for him. Okay? But Paul's confidence is in Christ. 
part of what we see here is that you can see that your suffering is for Christ. He says in verse 13 that his imprisonment is for Christ. He knows much more recent story than Joseph in which another Jew falsely accuses his own people. That other Jew suffered the extreme penalty, death, at the hands of wicked people, but still demonstrated through his resurrection that God meant it for good. And it's with his story, with Jesus' story echoing and bringing into focus the mainline Jewish belief that Israel's God, Yahweh, would somehow strangely produce good out of evil. We shouldn't be surprised at the robust statement of this belief, which Paul now produces. God means it for good. He's working through my imprisonment. He's working through my suffering. The commentator Tom Wright had written that description of Paul. It makes a difference to the way that we handle suffering. Our normal, our normal perspective in contrast is this. Uh, my wife has a friend on Facebook, and, and she wrote a quote. I'm quoting her. Uh, she, she wrote this prayer on Facebook. You ready? So far today, God, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. <laughs> I, I resonate with that. You resonate with that. But the issue there is that we're in focus. We're the ones in focus. And the primary issue that Paul talks about is that we shift from having ourselves in view first to having Christ in view first, to having his enduring love stand in our place. He stayed on the cross on our behalf. So our faith grows through our perspective change. But our faith and our attitudes change also by seeing effective faith in others. Your faith grows in the confidence of the Lord by seeing others' confidence in the Lord. Verse 14, Paul says, Most of the brothers, having become more confident, are much more, much more bold. There's a sense in which seeing Paul suffering faithfully in prison has produced in them the other brothers' confidence. Uh, the kids and I were watching Bear Grylls last night, Man vs. Wild. And, uh, you know, we streamed them from one of the things online. And uh, Bear's an interesting guy. He was uh, in the Special Forces for England. And he has a, a show with many seasons, I think about seven seasons, where he goes and he's dropped off by airplane. He parachutes out of an airplane into some place that's miles and miles and miles and miles away from any civilization, and he has to survive. And so one of the episodes was him being dropped into the French Alps in the middle of that, and he had to survive, and t- shows how he, what he, how he found food and how he ate. He found a river that would lead him closer to civilization, and so one of the things he did was to find some driftwood and build a raft. He found some driftwood, and he found some uh, vines, and he put this thing together, and, it, and the way that he tested it, field tested it, before he actually got into the water with it, was after he lashed everything together, he picked it up, and he threw it down onto the sand as hard as he could. Okay, these are probably going to hold, you know, because it didn't come apart. And so he field tested it. In the same way, your faith grows in boldness to speak God's word by seeing others. Bold to speak God's word. To speak it without fear. 
I was meeting today this or this week with uh, one of our presbyters, one of the fellow pastors in our presbytery. He works at Tenth Presbyterian. His name is Carol Wynn. Carol told me the story of a Ugandan pastor who was able to share the word of God, the gospel that we're talking about here today, with Idi Amin, who was a military dictator and the third president of Uganda from 1971 to 1979. And Idi Amin carried a firearm at his side at all time. And this pastor was thrust in front of him. And he knew that he could have been shot at any moment. He just picked, and there would have been no consequence. That's just the way that that worked in those days. So Idi Amin carried the firearm at his side. And when Carol was a younger man, he was hearing his friend tell this story. And he said, weren't you scared? Weren't you scared that he was going to shoot you? And the pastor's answer was, no, brother. The God who raises dead to life and orders all things for his glory put me there in that moment. And he can keep me safe if he wants to. And so I stood and I boldly proclaimed this book that I believe to him who was a tyrant and was dragging people down. It was a unique position and I did it with all of the joy in my heart that I could muster. Carol's faith, Carol Wynn's faith, grew through seeing his friend, the Ugandan pastor, being confident. He became much more bold to speak God's word and without fear. Similarly, I have a friend uh, who's a pastor in New Jersey. He went to Princeton Seminary, but we worked alongside of one another uh, and in related ministries for years in, in Manhattan. And he talked about one of the, one of the struggles on Princeton's campus and at the seminary was there were different strains of theology and approaches to interpreting the Bible that weren't rooted in faith, but actually rooted outside of faith. So, for example, there's something called the hermeneutic of suspicion, where you take a passage and you look at it through suspicion, not what it tells you, not what it brings to you, but you inform it through your lens of suspicion, the way that you've grown up hurt through the world, the the oppressed voices, and you read back into it from that perspective. And certainly interesting things come to it, but that was, it was a difficult thing because the word of God was suppressed for the sake of a personal preference in hermeneutic, in a way to read the scripture. And um, one day, an Asian woman stood up to give her testimony. And her testimony was that she was in a country where Christians were being hunted. And she escaped, but as she was escaping, it was night, and she ran into the woods And she ran right into thorn bushes, which wounded her face and eyes in such a way that they had swollen shut. And so she ran, praying that she would not misstep through the jungle of her country to the border of another country, nearby country, where she would be safe. And by morning, she had made it. And she stood up and she said, You may not like to look at God as your father, But I can tell you that it's God, my Father, who got me through the forest that night. And it's God, my Father, that wants to be your Father, too, through the work that Jesus has done. And he can liberate you from all of the pain and the impression that you've felt over the years through these perspectives that you're now bringing to bear from the outside on the Word of God, which can actually heal you. There wasn't a voice that spoke up in that assembly. Now, a warning. 
We've talked about the idea that your attitude and your perspective can shift from being on yourself to that on Jesus. But even there, just you is in view, and that's not enough. That's not enough to go out into the world transformed by the gospel. And just now, we talked about the examples of others. And you could look at that, and if you really look at them and you try to live up to them yourself, it'll crush you. You might be excited for a time, but you can go out of here today and just be weighed down by that. Watch your tongue. I have a friend holding me accountable for my temper. And I have to text him every day. How's your temper doing? Scale of 1 to 10. So I text him, right? And the reality is is that if I was trying to just work on my temper and my own strength, I would never do it. It would crush me. So it's not enough to look at ourselves changing and what it would like for us to be different, although that's important. And it's not enough to look at one another and the examples of faith that we see in our community or see around the community of Christ throughout the world. It's important, but it's not enough. What is enough? Your faith grows by seeing Jesus' perspective and attitude when he was suffering to serve God faithfully. Think about Paul. Like Paul, Jesus saw his suffering as worthwhile. The author of Hebrews 12, too, writes this. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He saw his suffering as worthwhile. He saw his suffering as advancing his father's will, and he withdrew from them. About a stone's throw, this is Jesus in the garden, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. And he saw his suffering as for the Father. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. What's brilliant about Jesus here is that it's not you in view first. It's not an example of a great fellow believer in view first. It's Jesus himself in view first. He stood in your place. He did it faithfully. He did it with the right perspective and the right attitude. Not like those who were trying to injure Paul in his imprisonment, but as with a faithful representative of humankind. Men and women from every nation. Jesus stood in for you. His faith was full of confidence in the Lord. Even as he was dying on the cross, his last last breaths were prayers. He said in Luke 23, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He said in Luke 22, For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with their transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus has completed the work on your behalf so that you can relate to suffering differently, so that your attitude and the way that you approach things can be changed. So that the lens you look through is not any other lens but him living and dying and rising again and sending his spirit so that you could be free, that you could have liberty.
So in summary, we covered first perspective and attitude when suffering. The key point is that a robust confidence in God's overruling power, even when everything seems to be going wrong, grows your faith by seeing Jesus' perspective and attitude. Right? Second, we covered growing in that perspective by seeing effective faith in others. So growing in the perspective that God has another plan, that even during suffering, that he's ordering things in such a way that he will bring them to completion. He will demonstrate the hope that you have and the reason for the hope that you have. So growing in that perspective, we also see the effective faith of others. We need one another. The Lord gives us one another to look and remind each other and live out of the truth that we've been promised. The key point is that through seeing friends being confident in the Lord, we become much more confident in him too. And boldness speak God's word without fear. What gives you the reason for the hope that you have? Are you able to live daily out of that? Third, we cover Jesus' perspective and attitude when suffering while faithfully doing the will of God on our behalf. The key point is that Jesus' entire life was aimed at doing the Father's will so that you could be freed to aim at proclaiming Jesus with your entire life, not just in conversations, but the way that you handle your job, the way that you handle your relationships, the way that you handle your private life, your interior thought life, the way that you are behind closed doors, as well as in front of a room of people. You're free to do that. Jesus was left alone and discouraged on the cross so that you could become part of his family and be encouraged by his own example and by others in the family. Why should you Go forward with hope in Jesus. Because you see Jesus as your fullness in every way. That's what will change you. That's what will change your attitude. That's what will change your perspective. So grow in your faith by keeping a good perspective and attitude when suffering in order to serve God faithfully. Do that. Grow in your faith by seeing the effective faith of others and faithful brothers and sisters. Do that. Grow in your faith that way. But you won't be able to grow in your faith like that until you see Jesus, the faithful one, having everything taken from him so that you could have everything, every right and privilege of a son and child and daughter of God. Go forward in that hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. You've considered us so deeply and so effectively that you've given us a lens through which we might see all of reality the lens of your love, the lens of your sacrifice, the lens of giving up your one and only Son, that in him we have someone who lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, and rose again so they might send his Spirit into our hearts, into our very beings, to change the way that we see things, to change the way that we do things. We're desperate for you, Father. We're desperate for you, Jesus, we're desperate for you, Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, now and forevermore. Reign among us. Transform us. Transform our city through us. Wipe every tear away and come soon. We pray in your name. Amen.